Welcome to the House of Horrors podcast, where each week we dissect problems real estate investors have faced, how they navigated it, and of course, what you can do to avoid ending up in their shoes. Guys, in the continuation of tenant horror stories, this week I am excited, let's slash sad, to be joined by my friend, client, Frank Simo. Frank, uh probably started talking to me about this. I want to say like last summer, summer of 2021-ish, maybe it was the fall, about a situation he had with a tenant of his where he was looking to turn over the unit. She wasn't budging. And, you know, what options did he have? And it's kind of just spiraled into this, I'll say like landlord-tenant purgatory at this point where it's like your hands are kind of tied by the law and you're, well, we'll get into the details of it, but before we get in, for people who don't know you, Frank, tell us a little bit about yourself um, personally, and then, you know, kind of where you are on your real estate investing journey. Sure. And thank you so much for having me, Bonnie. Um, so I'll go through the whole background, I guess, personally, um, 30 years old, um, working uh, my full-time life. I'm working for a company called Henry Shine. I'm in medical distribution. Um, so I manage a business services portfolio for North America. Um, and then real estate wise, uh, my business partner, James, and I began this process back in 2019. We had purchased a condominium in um, Marco Island, Florida. And then a year later, we bought a property in New Jersey, um, but another one bedroom condo. And uh, right now we're at two. Um, thankfully, cash flowing on both properties, as we'll probably talk about in a little bit. But um, that's our, our new journey at this point. So. Property number one, going swimmingly, Marco Island. Great spot, by the way. Love Marco. <laughs> Do you use that as a like a short-term rental property? We don't, actually. And that is one difficulty with condos. Even yeah, here I was as well. thinking, like, did you find the the jackpot with a short-term rental-friendly condo association in I Florida? Wish, I wish we did. Unfortunately, no. It's a, it's a long-term renter. But I will say he is now on year number two pays on time. It is a, a dream to, to have him there. So I count my blessings in that regard. There you go. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And so then you decided, Hey, let's get another one of these cash flowing condos up <laughs> here in New Jersey, where the landlord tenant laws I'll say are a little bit less um, forgiving on the landlord side. And so you've got this tenant in there. You, was she, was she in there when you purchased the property or did you place that tenant? She was not. So we actually, we purchased the property, a beautiful area of New Jersey, right off the beach. Uh, we ended up renovating the entire property. And within three, four days of being on Zillow, uh, she came knocking. And did things start off going well with her? Like when did, when did things start going sideways? It was a wonderful experience um, to begin. We met her. She was, you know, shining, you know, bright, shining face. Uh, and, you know, she was eager to, to stay. And, you know, she kept saying to us, you know, I'm clean. I want to be this. I want this to be a long-term relationship. Um, you know, I will be the best tenant you've ever had. Literally verbatim, she had stated <laughs> that to us. And I, the red flag should have appeared right from that, right? But, um, you know, it was fine to start. And then slowly but surely within that first, you know, three to four months, um, things started going terribly south. So I, I just can only laugh because I know how this story kind of yeah. ends or where, where it ends up, where it's just like, I want to be a long-term tenant. I'm like, oh gosh, those are some famous last words. But like what started happening where you're just like, you know what? She is not, you know, the gold star, five star sticker tenant that I had always dreamed of. 
Sure. And I'll get into, I guess, down, you know, towards the end, maybe of our conversation, we'll get into the things I could have done better. And I think yeah. that definitely came up and still comes up, you know, for us throughout this process. It's always Which a learning process. It always is. And you definitely have to treat it as such. I think you can't let this just be a damper on your day to day. It's business and things will always happen, you know, within your business. Um, but for us, it all started um, really from the from the get go. She had stated to us that she was going to um, submit a, her, her letter of compensation or how much money she was making. She had verbally told us and she had sent me um, a credit score, credit check. Um, and I looked at her credit score, it, you know, it seemed you know, perfect. I was, I was like, okay, great. And meeting her, you know, I, would, I thought I was a good judge of character. I said, fine, you know, we can accept this. That's one thing I will state. I wish I did a, a deeper dive on the background check, which we'll get into. Um, but things were fine. The first few months, things were just fine. And we began, you know, there was a few things she would call me because we had just renovated the place. So she had called me to, you know, hang a, a shelf and, you know, um, clean out one of the AC units that was existing. We had purchased the property and we did both of those things. My business partner um, brought in um, his girlfriend at the time and just, a, you know, another guest. We, we had just gone in together and he had brought her with, her, with him and then the, the temper tantrum started coming. We experienced a side of her that we had never seen before. She saw her and this was, I, I assumed it was because of COVID at the time and maybe she was a little leery on how many people could enter the property. Come to find out that's not the case. But she took one look at her and slammed the door literally in her face. And she said, you can come in, but you absolutely cannot. And we were taken back. We said, you know, whoa, you know, this, she's actually, you know, part of this business with us. She has every right to be here. Uh, and, you know, that's where it started. We started seeing this other side of her that we had never experienced before, which was pretty startling, to say the least. Oh, gosh, it's like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde act where it's like you've only ever seen one side and then you get to see another. And so, OK, she's, so she's not letting partner in. She's like, I only know the two of you as my landlord. And because that's all I you know, have known or interacted with, I'm going to, you know, set the rules around who has access to the property Correct. now has that access limitation or control continued to this day? Yes. I'm at a point now where I won't even go to the property. I, you know, we attempted to go to the property uh, twice um, and I had contacted um, the Monmouth County police and they escorted me to the property. Uh, we knocked on the door, lights were off. She wouldn't let us in. Um, to that point, since we're on the topic, because, you know, I feel it's my property, I have every right. And I've spoken with you. I've spoken with another attorney. And he stated, you know, you have the right to enter your property. But I didn't want to take that chance and simply open the door, right? I want to be as respectful as I can be uh, and not put myself uh, in any risk. But I did with the cop present, I did look through the window because the lights were off. And this, yeah. mind you, we've gone weeks now, almost a month without hearing from her. So I looked in and you know, maybe she left, maybe she moved. And this is the greatest day of my life. My problems are solved. <laughs> but I looked in the window and I could see a, a flashing light. And she was in there with the lights off, basically hidden, hiding from me and hiding from the police. And oh, what she did was she had the police on the phone while they're with me and stating that we were harassing her. Mind you, the cops are looking right at me. And he said, you know, right. Frank, what is this? I've never seen this before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Twilight Zone. It's oh, unbelievable. God. Uh, so I know at some point you, you decided to sell the property. Was that due to her? Was that just due to like where the market was going? Like what, what was your decision-making there? I would say a little bit of both, right? I think uh, a, a rough tenant or a tenant experience could lead to someone wanting to sell their property right at that point. <laughs> but it just so happened the timing was great. We had uh, purchased the property. I, I'm happy to share it for 245,000. Uh, right now we could probably sell the property for 390 and above. 
So, yeah, you know, we got certainly, the equity in there. certainly, yeah, the equity is there. So we had decided to, you know, potentially sell, um, you know, so I think it was a little bit of both. Right. And that is now the struggle that we, we literally cannot sell this property because of um, an unreasonable tenant. And so when you went to, I, I want to kind of like dive in and spend some time swimming around here in the, the process of selling the property with a non cooperative tenant. And so how did it go? Like, were you able to like meet with listing agents? Were they able to see the property, take photographs? Like how did the start of that sale go? Oh boy. Um, so it all started <laughs> it, it, back in the summer we had, uh, and I, it, um, I actually told her, I asked her if she wanted to purchase the property um, as a courtesy, you know, it wasn't a formal uh, right yeah. of first refusal. I just wanted to, you know, give her that courtesy to say, Hey, we are considering selling. Would you like to buy it? And she said, I'll get back to you. And months went by, nothing, no answer, fine. Um, likely because she doesn't have the funds. But we then told her, you know, I was worried because we were confident, we knew her lease was up in January and she would be departing, right? We assumed that any rational individual at the time of their lease expiration would go. So we said, let's not tell her and revisit this that we're selling. Let's just say that we are, um, you know, refinancing and we need to do an appraisal and an inspection. And it states in the lease that we have the right to conduct inspections as we see fit. So that was an absolute nightmare. We had uh, brought an inspector to the property. Um, I stayed outside. I actually called the police officer to come with us because I didn't know what would happen. The inspector came out and he said to me, Frank, I have been in this business for over a decade. This was the worst inspection I've ever done in my life. He said, she absolutely torched me throughout the process. And Bonnie, she, he was in there for about five minutes, maybe 10. So what happened? <laughs> what, what did she do? Just, I think, um, standing over. I wasn't in the in the room or in the in the condo to stay, but from what he had told me, standing over his shoulder, taking pictures, filming, you know, asking multiple questions, really harassing him, for lack of a better term. Right. You know, which, which is funny. We'll get into the false harassment claims she's made on me, but that was you know the harassment that she had, uh, you know, done to him. So he goes in there. Did you get what you needed to get done? We did. So the appraisal was sufficient. The inspection was sufficient. Everything was fine. We actually had to wait. I had scheduled the appraisal the day of the inspection. There was an older gentleman that came from the appraisal company. Really nice man. And I, and I was standing at the front door with her. And we had time allotted. We had plenty of time left from the time that we had scheduled. And she would not let him in. We had to wait another 60 days to conduct the appraisal, strictly because she said no. And I was almost at the verge of begging. I said, look, we're here. Let's just, it'll take us five minutes. Let's just do it. And she refused. She said, no, I'm not doing it. Oh my gosh. So what did you end up doing? So we had to wait. And after multiple attempts of contacting her, um, she had finally agreed to let us do the appraisal, which was, which was good. Ended up not mattering because we couldn't sell the, sell the property to begin with, but we were able to get it done. And so after that sale ultimately falls apart, you have, you kind of back to square one. You've got this difficult tenant who's in there and you've, now have, I guess, the hindsight to know what trying to sell it has looked like to go through with her. And so what did you decide to do after that? Or is the property still listed? Are you like, where do they stand with the sale? 
So we had listed the property. Um, I listed it on Zillow. And I said, you know, let's just give it a shot. Yeah. And I had a, um, a woman from upstate New York asked to purchase the property sight unseen. She actually used to live in the, uh, the complex previously. Okay. She stated her agent said she knew, you know, what all the properties looked like and she was ready to go. She saw the pictures, was happy. Um, because she wanted to um, occupy the space personally, we had grounds for eviction. So we had started the eviction process at that time. And at the 11th hour, the buyer had stated she um, wanted to terminate the contract um, because she was aware that we were attempting to get the tenant out. It stated, yeah, the attorney, um, you know, revised the agreement. There was a date, you know, a drop dead date. And basically we were over that. So we couldn't argue it. We knew we were expecting it to happen, unfortunately. Um, and the last thing I would do, and for, for those listening, you don't want to go to that buyer and have that conversation because, you know, there could be a wrongful eviction or, you know, from per my attorney, you don't want to have that conversation. Um, so it was difficult. Um, and we did list the property with an agent. However, you know, we couldn't do showings. We can't do showings. We're at that state right now where if I want someone to see the property, it will have to be video or photo, um, from the videos I've taken, um, which is not reasonable. It's not a reasonable ask if you're a rationally right. thinking person buying a property. So that's, that's where we stand at this point. Oh, <laughs> I mean, what a nightmare. mess. I mean, the, the hard thing is, is when you have a, you know, a lack of access. And I know we had talked about this before about it, it, it kind of being a gray area because um, whether you're in New Jersey or any other state, there's, there's usually a, a litany of reasons why you can evict a tenant. The classic and probably the vast majority of evictions happen due to non-payment of rent. And that's never been the issue here, right, Frank? Not at all. And it, it's funny, I speak with friends of mine who are real estate investors, brokers, and I tell them this is the ideal tenant beyond the craziness, this is the ideal tenant. She pays on time and she's clean. That's everything you want. However, if you're in a position where you wanna sell your property, you can't, this is, this is what happens. She's unreasonable. And she actually thinks, I believe that this is her personal, her primary residence, that she owns the property. You know, we had stated in the lease, this is a one year term. I had told her from day one and she is convinced that she has a multi-year deal and it's just not the case. Um, so yes, it is very difficult. It's could be worse, right? I think for yeah. those listening, it could oh. be worse. She could not be paying about, at all. Yeah. Last week on the episode, we had a non-paying, totally destructive tenant who won't right. leave and won't communicate. Um, and so that's, and is counter suing basically the, oh the landlord. And so, yeah, there there's, there's different levels of horror when it comes to, to tenant difficulties, but I think yours is really interesting because it's not very often where you, you think about these situations where you want to remove a paying tenant. And, but the reality is, is that there's a number of reasons why leases can be terminated or why a landlord might want to. Um, and the situation I think we have here, and it may be called a different thing, and you know, depending on what state you're in, is the situation where it's some sort of like persistent violation of the lease here, it being, you know, you have the right to access and she's not permitting you the right to access. And so, but it's it's a tough area, and especially you know we're coming out of a two year basically total moratorium of of evictions, and so you're not really talking about a court system that is looking to remove probably paying tenants at this point, right. um, let alone something where uh, you know it's a situation where it's it's a bit of a gray area because you know tenants no matter where they are no matter what state have you know the right to quiet enjoyment and they have the right to you know control and access and reasonable notice. 
the landlord, but that they don't get to, you know, they don't have like an ultimate veto power either at the end of the day, while they may have possession of the property, you retain ownership of it. And uh, whether it's by contract through a lease agreement um, or by some sort of implied warranty, you do have access rights to, to the property. And so you've kind of found yourself in this like purgatory pickle with, <laughs> with a tenant that is kind of like a ball and chain right now on this property. It really is. There was an instance where we had, you know, put a, installed a washer and dryer in the unit. And I get a call from the manufacturer stating they're confirming my appointment. And I said, what are you talking about? I never did that. She actually called the manufacturer using my name and claimed that she was my wife. They said, we spoke to a Mrs. Simo and she, she scheduled an appointment herself. I said, cancel that and take that number. She is forbidden to schedule these, these appointments. But she's probably at a point now where she is fixing and maintaining all of the appliances on her own. I can only imagine if there was an issue, she must have fixed it because we didn't. We certainly did not at this at this point because I wasn't notified of it. You know, this kind of reminds me of this situation. Um, I had talked to someone back at my firm. Oh gosh, it had to have been about two years ago now, um, where someone thought that they were creating adverse possession. And so I think it may be fun to kind of go on this little legal tangent here because I wonder if that's in your tenant's head what she thinks she's doing. And so adverse possession is this legal concept that frankly was like much more like possible during the, I'll say like pioneering days of the United States where land was a little bit more of like a free for all. And if you don't, you know, kind of snooze on it, you lose it. And so people would just kind of park themselves on other people's lands. And after a period of time, if that person didn't show up or kick them off or whatever, that land was suddenly yours. And some states, particularly in the South, it's a little bit easier to do that. Up here in the North, I think New Jersey is about 30 years. And so it's a substantial amount of time uh, for no one to notice that you are there. Um, the interesting thing, though, is, and this is what prevents tenants, even difficult tenants. So say she doesn't allow you access to the property, while well, she, she would never actually become an adverse possessor even though she is adverse and possessing, if that makes sense, is because she's paying you rent. And so she has maintained the status of a tenant. You know she's there. She's paying you to be there. She has a different classification here, even if she's being a total pain in the you-know-what in terms of allowing you access to it. You don't ever have to worry that, like, even if this was to go on for, like, 30 years, which is, like, unfathomable, will not happen. Like, I can say, like, we'll say this is like free legal advice. Your other attorney who's handling the eviction would probably agree with me that this is not going to go on for 30 years. But even if it did, she's not going to walk into court and be like, actually, after all this time, it's my condo. It doesn't matter how many appliances she fixed. It doesn't matter if she, you know, started paying the, the tax bill even. Like none of that would matter because at the end of the day, you have a landlord-tenant relationship with her. And if that goes further south, like say the non-payment starts, then you would actually be able to probably perhaps more cleanly remove her from the property. <laughs> well, it's, it's good to know. And we're hopeful. I hope it doesn't last 30 years. Seeing how she acts, I wouldn't put it off the table. <laughs> <laughs> hey, as long as you can get some rent increases, it could I, I be suppose, worse. I suppose. So I know you had kind of touched on this, but I wanted to <laughs> kind of explore the the police involvement because that is like a special level of nightmare i think for landlords is when they they basically need like a third party intermediary to be a form of whether it's being an eyewitness to make sure that you're not doing anything wrong a form of safety or just someone to enforce a law 
when it becomes a landlord tenant situation. And I'm, I'm wondering what, what was the first time police had to get involved in the relationship between you and the tenant? Sure. So it started probably about four months ago, I would say, um, before the lease had expired. I was sitting in this very seat and I get a phone call from a Monmouth County random phone number. So I answer is about seven o'clock at night and it was Monmouth County Police. And they had known my name and the tenant had apparently called on me and my business partner who wasn't actually was not in the state at the time. Um, and he gets, we get a call that she had claimed that we were harassing her. Mind you, I had not visited the property in weeks. She had claimed that we were peeking through the windows and banging on the door. None of this had happened. Um, and they stated that it wasn't the first phone call. They actually had gotten multiple phone calls from her prior. And the, the cop was almost laughing. He said, because he goes, Frank, he said, you're actually not in trouble. We know who this person is. She, believe it or not, has a history with us. So I'm sure this is not her first rodeo. Uh, but he said, yeah, you're, you're fine. We're more of just letting you know that this is the case in the situation. I said, well, you know, as a courtesy, would you mind just having a conversation with her, letting her know that her lease is up? And the cop actually did. And he had told me, he said, yeah, she is planning on leaving. And I, I was hopeful again, you know, that kind of stated to me, okay, she's ready to leave in January. This is great right. news. Uh, but that's when it started. And, you know, from then, the last thing I'm going to do, again, this is a business venture for us. The last thing I'm going to do is put my, my family or myself in any form of risk. So anytime that I had visited the property, I had called and I said, can I have a police escort here? And we did that twice. And um, finally, the last time we had received a phone call, um, from them again, stating another false harassment claim. And they said, listen, we refuse going forward to visit the property with you. And we advise that you do not go there. You know, that's where we are, we're at at this point that I actually cannot visit my own property because of a tenant um, in, in the driver's seat, the way I would view it. I'm wondering, have you considered a like counter harassment claim against her? I'm just thinking like someone harassing you with false harassment claims is kind of harassment in and of itself. It's a shame that there's just, there's not really a mechanism. And I, I can understand some of the reasoning why, because I, I think it could be subject to abuse, but there's no way when like a landlord tenant relationship just completely dissolves and it, it's not functioning that you don't have a way to, to do anything about it, at least here in New Jersey, where the property is located. Um, and your, your cans are just kind of tied so long as she's a paying tenant. And I realize, you know, there, there's counter, you know, thoughts about, you know, it's housing and it's special and, you know, people should have, you know, housing stability and all of that. And I, I get that. I know you get that. Um, but at the flip side, it, it can't be at the expense of you literally being told you can't access your own property. <laughs> I know. And we, we've definitely considered it. We've been down every avenue. And I think yeah. you know, my, my worry, the biggest worry is when we do sell the property and we will, what is the market going to be like in a year? You know, is the market going to rapidly decline? You know, should we, we would have been able <laughs> to sell it for 390 plus, you know, right. heaven forbid we can, we now sell it 350. Well, there was tortious interference in this matter. Right. And that was, I'm calling the phrase from our attorney, our eviction attorney. And there is, I believe she could be personally liable for that. You know, we've had expenses, um, you know, there would have been a difference into what the sale price right, is today right, versus right, right. yesterday. Uh, and that's a conversation I hope we don't have to have, you know, even through all this, we tried to tell her, we want this to be as easy for you as possible. There is no winning. I even offered, I said, I will help you find another property. If you right. need an apartment, I said, I'm willing to do what I have to do. will give you the best reference yeah. ever. And you I'll write you the letter. To another landlord. <laughs> exactly. I'll drive you to the new property, but it's just nothing. There was no budging. Yeah. Is she just um, like in the position where it's like, you're going to bury me in this house? Uh, maybe so. Maybe. I, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I haven't seen her in ages, so I, I wouldn't know. Oh, what a, 
on a pickle. Cause I, yeah. I, I feel like sometimes in these situations, um, the way the, the law in New Jersey works at least is that, you know, the roundabout situation is you sell the property. Now you suddenly have an, a basis to evict where you otherwise wouldn't have a basis to evict, but now you have the situation where you can't even sell. And so, um, it's such a, like a catch 22 that you find yourself in. Now I realize hindsight's always like 2020 on these situations. And I think that's for the best. That means you, you know, come through the situation, you've learned something, but I'm wondering, like looking back, particularly around like due diligence, I wonder if you would do anything differently. I definitely would. And, and the, I think if anyone gets anything out of this, it's to, you know, don't put these things on yourself. Things will happen in business. If you're in a partnership, you know, it, nothing should come between you and your partner. This, we, we made mistakes in the very beginning in the due diligence process, right? And that's, it's a learning experience. Good things have now come out of this because I've learned so much of what to do for the next property. Um, and I think doing a, a formal background check from the start, criminal background check included, which we'll dive into in a second, um, I should have done that. I should have verified her income. I should have verified everything. Did uh, you find out later? Like, was any of that falsified or was there like more detail where if you found it, you would have been like, no way. Um, informally, I'll say yes. I don't have anything okay. uh, in written proof, but um, here, here's the kicker on that. So after that initial buyer had terminated their contract, we had another individual reach out to me who had lived, um, she currently resides, she and her husband in a property down the street. Um, okay. from this condo. This is a multi-unit apartment complex. The tenant apparently had lived in that complex. Now they had actually, they didn't visit the property either. They knew exactly though the development. They said, we want this. They were going to pay us top dollar cash. So we were excited. They wanted the tenant, everything. They wanted to rent it. Days later, my real estate agent calls me and says, Frank, they actually want to back out. They, they've decided they don't want a tenant. Now I called the, the, the buyer and I said, look, this was not the conversation we had. I was very frank with you right uh, from the start. And you told me that you did, you wanted the tenant. Turns out she, she was upfront with me. She said, Frank, if you didn't call me, I wouldn't have said this to you. She said, but you're, you sound like a nice guy. I'm going to have the conversation with you. She said, we were good to go. But then I saw the name of the tenant and we immediately backed out verbatim. She said to me, I would have rather rented to the devil. That was her words to me. Oh, Lord. So Apparent, she's got just like a reputation. She does in the community. She, she told me she absolutely does. And apparently she used to live with her, her grandparents and the cops have visited that property multiple times. She had made death threats to her grandmother so loud that the other tenants in the, in the building heard. Um, you know, there's been multiple claims of harassment, even from some of the workers in the building. Um, she had used a different last name. Uh, when she filled out the application with us. And I believe now she's going by a different last name because of a former arrest. So that's what, um, you know, it's not proven. Of course, I didn't do my due diligence in um, a background check at this point. But for someone that does not know me from Adam, you know, to state that and to completely turn down a deal that they wanted, they love this property and they really wanted it. <laughs> and it was the only one available. They, there was nothing for sale in this complex. Um, it really tells you something about who this person is that I'm dealing with. That is intense that, I mean, and it's so hard when even sometimes people just look good on paper and they pass the, like, you seem like a normal, decent human being when you like meet them. And I realize that, you know, oftentimes when we meet tenants, we're, we're only, you know, with them maybe for like a 10 minute showing and then maybe right. for a few minutes to sign the lease. And sometimes not even then. And often, you know, with COVID it, a lot of that stuff has kind of gone remote, um, and so it can be really hard. And then to find out that like you've rented to like the village crazy lady is like, how, how was I the only person who didn't know this? <laughs> and the reality is, is that like crazy doesn't always have a paper trail. 
It's so true. In this case, it probably does. And I mean, for me, I, I almost took it personally. You know, I, I thought of, especially, you know, in my professional full-time career, I, I meet thousands of people and I would think I have a good, you know, judgment of character, right? Uh, but when this happens, you just completely second guess yourself. And, sure. you know, I was at that stage where I was second guessing everything, thinking I made the biggest mistake. But the hope is that, you know, down the road, good things come out of this. And, you know, it was a great learning experience overall. So what are you doing differently now moving forward? I realize you don't, I guess you haven't had any turnover yet, but like, what would you do differently? Cause you've got your wonderful long-term tenant in Florida and you've got sure. her and she's not leaving. And right. so we haven't had, I guess the, the experience to do the turnover. Right. And I think um, for future properties, I don't envision any issues with the, with the long-term tenant in the first property, but I think going forward, you know, always have your lease reviewed properly by an attorney. I had, you know, created mine on my, on my own. I ended up finding out that the lease actually was constructed pretty well. Um, you know, there really wasn't much in it that, you know, was hurting me as the landlord, but definitely having the lease professionally reviewed. Um, one thing I didn't mention that she actually got me on, she had called me um, and stated a New Jersey statute that was, if you don't show the security deposit, where that security deposit is uh, housed in the first 30 or 60 days, um, they have the right to get that security deposit back. And she got me on it. We had to give her the security deposit. So right now yeah. she's staying there with no security, which is worrisome. Um, but that's one thing I would do differently. And again, just to harp on the background check, do your due diligence up front. I understand that it's worrisome to have a vacant property, but even if it goes vacant for a month, work that into your numbers before you buy it and do that due diligence. Because as you could see, you might be out a lot more money than you think uh, compared to a one month vacancy. Find that right tenant. You know, and you're so right. And that was one of the things I, I teach a lot about inside of Landlord Law School and just kind of talk about generally is that I think a lot of times people think like the greatest risk of being a real estate investor is like this like catastrophic slip and fall or something like that. Whereas in reality, I mean, I have found for clients like security deposit laws to be incredibly nuanced and incredibly painful because sometimes they have like three times damages. Sometimes you're in the situation like you're in where you, you now have a tenant without a security deposit in it. And that can put a lot of risk into the situation. Same thing with like contractors and things like that. I think that anyone who you're kind of, it's, it's the third parties that you have to worry about. The third parties that you know, it's the contractors, the partners, the tenants, even sometimes like realtors, lenders, like that is where I think the greatest risk for loss arises. One, because I think we have a, an innate sense or desire to trust these people. And then we also have on the flip side, when things go wrong with them, it doesn't matter that like I created an LLC for you. Like that's not going to protect you in this situation. It doesn't make a difference when it comes to the eviction. It doesn't make a difference when it comes to, you know, a situation like a tenant who's non-paying or security deposits slip up or any of that stuff. And so the, these lessons I find like one, it's like fool me once, shame on me fool me twice or so fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me because like you will never make that security deposit mess up again sure like never. and it's it's a great learning lesson unfortunately because oftentimes it comes out of pocket I, I think we've all been there and i i think that's why it's so important for us to share these stories with each other is that if there's one listener in new jersey who learned oh shoot i never knew about that security deposit law and it's just my luck that like none, none of my tenants had either. And so I've kind of been able to skirt that, or maybe I live in another state and I want to know, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that I had to tell anyone anything about the security deposit. Then at least then, you know, 
you then know you can move forward and start creating some more of those best practices. Because reality is, is landlord tenant law, no matter what state you're in, even if it's a landlord friendly state, which I'll say New Jersey typically does not have the reputation of being, you still got to know the rules that you're, you're playing by. And there's a, often a lot of rules. And so uh, it's, you aren't the first one to make you know, a landlord tenant mistake and you certainly will not be the last, but perhaps we can, you know, eliminate the, uh, maybe someone from making that one particular mistake. I I hope so. And definitely learning from the mistakes helps. And and I think one thing too, I didn't mention is reviewing the lease with tenant at the start, the moment they sign, it's not just about them signing that dotted line. You know, they're not attorneys. We're not attorneys. They don't know necessarily what they're signing and every lease could be different. You know, I wish I had taken the time to go line by line, paragraph by paragraph, going over what's included in the lease and stating my terms. Like, don't forget, this is your lease, right? You're stating the terms of that property. So I should have gone over, you know, the inspection process and what we expect of that tenant quarterly and or monthly from an inspection standpoint, um, because I think she's just taken advantage. Um, but I think if maybe I was more clear in that this was a one year term and she heard that. Uh, she would have been a little more apt to to depart at the conclusion of that lease. Right. And I, I think, I mean, that's something that we used to do all the time. And I, I totally encourage it. I definitely think it's a best practice if you can do it, is going through a lease. If you have to be on Zoom and then you send it through DocuSign, or if you could be across the table with someone to, to walk through it, because the reality is people don't read it. Um and, you know, every now and then, I mean, I read to a lot of students and every now and then, you know, I get a law student or something who wants to read it. But the, the reality is, is most people are like, it's take it or leave it. I'm going to sign or I'm not going to get this, this lease. And they, they don't bother. And then when it comes time to like enforce a rule or force a right that you have, it feels like prickly. Like they're just like, is this really something that's Okay. And their guard goes up, whether it's justified or not. Whereas I find that if you do like that walkthrough, it gives an opportunity for like setting the expectations that go both ways, because it it, it is a relationship that goes both ways. The, the tenants have rights, the landlords have rights, and just making it not a surprise if we go to enforce them one way or another. Right. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think um, silence isn't always the best when it comes to the tenant landlord relationship. I think people think if they're renting a property, if you don't hear from your tenant in three to four months, that was a good thing. Right. If you're getting the rent checks, you might think that you're coasting. But make sure that you as the landlord are reaching out and having those conversations and visit your property or have your property managers do it because you just don't know. Right. You don't know what that property looks like inside if you're not there or your management team. You know, so have those conversations because you could an ounce. My mother's a nurse. It's funny. She always says this. An ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. Right. Every single inspection you go to analyze that property, make sure there's a minor thing you could fix or do do it because you'll save yourself in CapEx down the road. I, I I totally agree. And I think the same thing applies for legal. It's that it's so much easier and it's so much, frankly, just cheaper, whether it's, you know, construction or the legal stuff to, to be proactive and not reactive about the stuff. Because once you're reactive, it's, you're, you're playing like whack-a-mole, you're, and you're not being able to do things as much on your terms as just like whatever is being laid out in front of you. And that can be really tricky. Uh, Frank, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, any final words for listeners? Final words. I, again, you know, do your due diligence. I never thought I would be in a position where I'm on a podcast saying, don't make the same mistake as me. 
Um, but again, it was it was okay. Things could be worse. Don't take these things personally. It's business. Things will happen as perfect as you want to be. Uh, nobody ever achieves perfection, but just continue on, continue moving forward to learn from these mistakes and just have fun. That's really what it's mostly about. So that's all I have. I, I, I love that. And I think that's such an important mindset for the listeners to take from them out of this, this episode is that it, it's not about you. It's not a reflection of you. And so far, you know, we're about a dozen horror stories deep into House of Horrors and not a single person has been like, and after that, I decided I no longer want to be a real estate investor. Like we're, sure. everyone has powered through it. There's probably days where you're like, why am I doing this? But then you remember why. And, um, you know, you, you stay the course. Frank, thanks again for joining us and stick around for next week's episode, because in that I'm going to be covering the LLC loopholes that you may not be aware of. And so if you're not sure of the ways that your LLC may still be leaving you exposed and how we should be filling in those gaps with different types of asset protection, and no, it's not going to just be land trust. Y'all know me. Stick around for next week. It's going to be a good one. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to the House of Horrors podcast. Make sure to follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our podcast episodes, show notes, links, and more at bonniegallum.com forward slash podcast. You can learn more about legally protecting your portfolio and take my free legal workshop, The Three Legal Myths, Preventing You from Securing and Scaling Your Portfolio, and of course, what to do instead at bonniegallum.com. And to stay connected and follow along, follow me on Instagram at bonniegallumesq and send me a DM to say hi. Thank you for listening to the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast player to make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes. Now this lawyer's got to drop the fine print real quick. This podcast is educational and not intended to be legal tax or investing advice for you. Please speak with a local professional for specific advice unique to you and your situation. That's it for this episode. Bye for now.